Hey, uh, good morning, RCC. So good to be back with you guys. If we never met before, my name is Gavin. And uh, man, I love coming to Florida. I love hanging out with you guys. And I love what we're gonna talk about today. Um, specifically, there's a life principle, but we're gonna apply it kind of in our spiritual life as well. Um, really to kind of get us going, I need to tell you a story. Um, I don't know if you get to vacation with other people. Usually that's a disaster. But um, we have two really great friends, uh, other families, two other families that our family has vacationed with for, gosh, man, over 10 years now. We go to the beach every summer together, first week of June, with these two other families. Uh, we really enjoy these two other families. They kind of think the way we think. I mean, you know how this is. They kind of parent the way we parent. It's not the right way to parent. It's just our way to parent, you know? And so it works well. We all, you know, think about things the same way. We love each other. The kids enjoy each other. It's really, really a great time. Um, we've been doing this for a long time. And so we would get together kind of outside of the beach week, you know, with our beach family every once in a while, but not like regularly, like we didn't have anything consistent. So my wife decided, and I love this, she said, we should have like a, you know, halfway from the beach vacation, we should get together on January the 1st, we should have beach family New Year's Day brunch. I'm like, you had me at cinnamon rolls. That sounds great. So we decided to do that several years ago, invite the Beach family to our house, have brunch on New Year's Day. It was awesome. And so all the people were there, kids, you know, the guys were hanging out, good friends. And uh, Alex and I are going back for thirds on cinnamon rolls. And as we are kind of filling our plate with more cheese grits and cinnamon rolls and candied bacon, he said, I really feel like we're kind of not in as good a shape as we should be. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean, you know? Um, I was like, dad bods in, like more cinnamon rolls. There's nothing wrong with this. And he said, no, but you know, we're getting older. Like, I feel like if we don't get a, 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 a grip on this, it's gonna get away from us really quick. And I'm like, that's why they make elastic waistbands. Like, well, I don't understand the problem, you know? And Alex says, I think we should get in shape before we go to the beach. Like, we should, you know, try to be more healthy before we go to the beach. I'm like, so we have like five-ish months, you know? And I said, well... Okay, if there's a competition involved, I can do anything. If there's like something you can win, I can do it. I was like, he goes, let's make it a competition. I'm like, well, Alex, what's the competition? Like, what's the get in shape competition? So Alex is thinking about it and he says, I got it. He says, we're gonna show up to the beach. We're gonna take our shirts off and walk out, you know, to the beach. Whoever has at least one ab wins the contest. That's it. I was like, I already have one ab. It's just a big one right here, you know. He goes, like a legit, one legitimate visible ab. You can use lighting to help with contouring if you want. Doesn't matter. You got to have it just one ab. I'm like, that's it, one ab. He goes, yeah, that's the contest. I was like, okay, sounds good. So I acted like I didn't really care, but I'm super competitive. So that afternoon, everybody left. I got on my laptop. I start researching how to find one ab. That was my goal. I come across this thing, Body Beast. It's a workout program. It was created by Sergey. Sergey had 38 abs. I didn't know that was possible. I thought if Sergey has 38, I can do his program. I'm bound to get one in five or five and a half months. So I downloaded the program from Sergey, started watching the videos. Sergey is amazing. He makes it look really easy. And he always says things like, you know, not everyone can lift like Sergey lift. You lift what you lift. I lift what Sergey lift. You know, he's amazing. Talks in third person all the time. I mean, this guy is awesome. He is jacked. I just want one ab. So I study the program. I put on my gym stuff the next morning. I go to the neighborhood gym 
And I decide I'm gonna go all in on Body Beast. It was, it was chest day. If you're a workout person, you'll get this. It was chest day. I didn't really know what that meant. I assumed a lot of pushing of things, which is true. There were multiple exercises where you push things. I, I went into like the area with the free weights. They had dumbbells. They had some like dumbbells on the top, dumbbells on the bottom. I see all the other men in the gym. They're getting the dumbbells from the bottom. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm a, I'm a man. You know, I'm gonna get the dumbbells from the bottom. I go to pick one up and I realize I'm actually not a man yet. You know, those dumbbells are super heavy, you know? So I went to the top rack, you know, with the aerobics people and I got the, you know, dumbbells from the top and started doing some chest stuff. It was horrible. It was so tiring. I don't know if you've ever been to the gym for the first time before. It is awful. It's awful. Like it's, it's half painful, half awkward. You're using the equipment wrong. You're sitting on it backwards. I mean, just everything was just terrible. It's terrible. I got home, I tried to take a shower. I couldn't lift my arms. I mean, you know, the whole thing's bad. But I knew I had to win. Like I wasn't giving up that easy, you know? These other dudes have computer programming jobs, right? I love them, but they're nerdy. They're not getting out of their seats. I'm like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make it happen. Next day I go back, day two, it's leg day. Have you ever had a leg day before? I'd always heard guys skip leg day. I know why. It's horrible. It's awful. There's so many like lunges. Have you ever done lunges before? Like who lunges? Lunges, lunges teach you how many muscles you have in your legs that you didn't even know existed. Lunges are so painful. Sergey is doing it with 135 pounds on his shoulder. Like I'm just trying to stand back up. You know, that's all I'm doing. I have never been more sore in my life. Like the next morning, I won't go graphic on you, but the next morning I'm trying to like sit down and stand back up, it's not even happening. You're just holding it all day because you can't even sit down. I mean, I felt so, that was more graphic than I meant. I felt so, so bad. It was so painful, but it was a competition. I didn't give up. I went back. You know, week two didn't get any better. Week three though, week three got a little bit better. Started feeling a little stronger, started feeling a little more at home in the gym. By week four, by week four, I used one of the dumbbells on the bottom rack. Yeah. And in week five, I wore a tank top. I shouldn't have, but I was feeling real confident, you know? It is so interesting. Like, the more I went to the gym, the better I felt and the more progress I made, which, duh, we all know that, but it's a kind of life principle, right? To, in any area of our life, if, if we want to continue making progress, we have to continue taking steps. It's exactly what I did at the gym. I wanted to continue making progress, so I, I had to continue taking steps. Literally, lunges are steps, but I would go out of my house, drive to the gym, step into the place again. I would track my weights every time I was there to know that I was making progress. It's just a version of a step. It's just a life principle. It applies to every area of life. Let me give you a relational example. About 10 years ago, um, I, I hadn't been a pastor for that long, but um, I, I felt like I kind of had a little bit of an idea what it looked like to be a pastor, um, but I wasn't great at it. And it was a little awkward, to be honest, at times. Partially because everywhere you go, people think you're closer to God, you know, because you're the pastor. I'm like, bro, we're, we're all close to God. But, you know, people think differently when you're a pastor. Like, everywhere, every meal you're at, you have to pray. I mean, people are always asking you hard questions. People bring their kids up to you. My kid has a real hard question, you know, do dogs go to heaven when they die? His dog just died. 
why are you asking me that? Like, I don't want to be the person who has to deal with that. So anyway, it's just difficult, you know? So 10 years ago, we, we find out that there's a family in our community um, who has, they have a 15-year-old named Dylan who had been diagnosed with cancer, 15. We found out because a friend of ours was walking through some pediatric cancer with, with their child and they were kind of neighbors at the Aflac Pediatric Cancer Floor in downtown Atlanta, one of our hospitals. So they said, hey, there's this, this person who lives kind of in the community, really nice family, but they have no family there in the community. They're kind of by themselves and they're really not connected to a church right now. They're great people. Would you mind helping? You know, and my wife says, oh my gosh, of course, we'll take some meals and things like that. So she comes home, my wife, and she says, hey, there's this family, Dylan, he has cancer. We're gonna take some meals you know, over to him. And I was like, that sounds awesome. I would love for you to take some meals over to him. And she goes, no, we are going. And I was like, no, 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 you are going. I'm not gonna do that. I, I don't want to walk in, if I'm being super kind of, you know, transparent, I, I don't want to walk into a person's house with a 15-year-old with cancer. I don't know what to do with that. I have no idea what to do with that. And by the way, I'm a pastor. They're going to ask me to get involved spiritually. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to pray for healing and then it doesn't happen to work and now they're questioning God. I don't know. I, I, it's just terrifying. And I'm just not super comfortable with any of this. Like, I'm not like, you know, you don't want me. If you're in the hospital, like, nobody calls Gavin to come. Like, I, that's not my deal, you know? I'm just not good at that. I'm so uncomfortable. She says, well, get, get comfortable because we're both going, you know? And, you know, my wife, she's like, you got to do what she says. So I'm like, okay, great, you know, but I'm not excited about it. She goes, I don't care. You go. You can be unexcited all you want, but we're going. And so I'm telling you, two days later, we show up with food. I vividly remember walking up the steps to their house. She knocks on the door. He opened the door. I'm like, you go first. <laughs> we go in. There's Dylan, 15-year-old, little ball-headed Dylan. You know, he's playing Xbox, luckily. I'm like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> we sit down and we play Call of Duty together for a few minutes and we kind of start talking. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is not that bad. He's kind of a normal kid, you know. We actually spent a lot of time with Dylan and his family. We brought meals about once a week and we ended up, you know, seeing them a lot. Sometimes they'd have to go to the hospital for things. We'd show up, you know, the hospital, but things were beginning to get a little better um, until they, they weren't. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody with pediatric cancer, but I mean, cancer is terrible all the time. You know, children's cells multiply a lot more rapidly than mine do now. And it's the same with cancer cells. Pediatric cancer can change really quick. And, that's what was happening to Dylan. We were at the hospital several times where he was just in such bad shape. And we were all praying that he just get to come home every once in a while. Sometimes he would get to. He was in hospice for a while at home and they had to rush him to the hospital one day. On a Tuesday morning, they called us. We were the first person they called when Dylan passed away. It was heartbreaking. I was the first person who made it to the hospital after he died and walked into the room and just held the mom and dad's hand and prayed with them. It was our only child that they had just lost. It was so painful, but it was also such proof of that same principle. Being with Dylan really helped me grow. It helped me grow relationally. It helped me grow spiritually. You know, being with Sergey helped my biceps grow. You know, being with Dylan helped my emotions grow, helped my relationships grow. Because the principle is just a principle. It's always gonna happen that way. In every area of our life, right, we're gonna grow in the direction that we go. Whatever direction you move in, you're going to grow in that direction. Whether you're doing it intentionally or not, you're always going to grow 
when you begin to move in a direction, when you take steps in a direction, when you go that way. And the inverse is true as well, right? We, we stop growing when we stop going. When I was trying to win the ab contest, I got really unmotivated for about a week. And instead of going to the dumbbells, I went to the donut shop, you know? Things changed. Like it only took a week for things to start pivoting in the other direction. You know, the biceps got a little smaller, the waistband got a little bigger. Dumbbells to donuts. It's the same thing in both directions. Now, I doubt any of you came today hoping for workout advice because I'm definitely not the guy to give that. But I do understand how this principle, this life principle applies and works in our spiritual life. Now, I'm, I'm gonna make a, an assumption, and this might not be true for, for all of you, but I hope it is. I, I hope that all of you on some level want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Like there's some part of you that is hoping, you're curious, and maybe you're not even a Christian, and you're here today, and I don't even know why. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you're getting a free lunch, or they promised you'd meet somebody cute. I mean, I don't know, but, but I'm glad you're here. And I bet you're here partially because there's a little bit of curiosity in you. Or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you also want to continue to grow in that relationship. You want it to be deeper and, and more meaningful. Here's something I hope you all know. God desperately wants to grow closer to you. Like God has been moving in your direction your entire life because he loves you so much and he wants a deep relationship with you. But if we're gonna have one with him, it's not all about his movement. It's a little bit on our side too. So if, if kind of going and growing, if they're actually correlated, which I think they are, it's really good to kind of know where you're starting if you wanna move in a direction. If you think about your life, maybe like, like a number line, okay? Now, this is very simple, but it, I think it works. Every area of your life, you could kind of plot on a number line. For instance, if we go back to that New Year's Day brunch and Alex says, let's get an ab, let's get in shape. Uh, you know, on this number line, if, if a positive 10 is Arnold Schwarzenegger and negative 10 is me with my fourth cinnamon roll, right? Moving towards Arnold meant taking steps in that direction. We always grow in the direction that we go. This is true of every area of your life. It's also true of your spiritual life. Your spiritual life is just the same way. I mean, in this example, like if negative 10 is Satan, probably none of you are that bad, and positive 10 is Jesus, none of you are that good either, by the way, right? We're all somewhere between, we're all somewhere on the spectrum. Now, just for a second, just for a second, I want you to think about where do you think you are on the spectrum? Like, like, where would you put yourself? If zero is kind of the point where you put your faith in Jesus, you, you become a Christian, where do you feel like you are? Now, don't say it out loud. Just be honest with yourself and no elbowing. That's weird, okay? But like, just for a second, just for a second, where do you think you are? And next question, what do you think it takes to move forward? Like, like, what do you think it takes to go from where you are to move closer to Jesus, to move closer to a plus 10? That's a really important question. You know, if you're somewhere kind of on this negative side, you know, if you're a negative eight, nine, you're probably not even here. I mean, you're like doing mean things to puppies or whatever, I don't know, you know, but like, if you're like negative five, negative five down to zero, if that's kind of where you are, I'll tell you what you actually need. If you wanna make progress in your spiritual life, what you actually need is information. There's just some things you probably don't know. 
For instance, you probably don't actually just know that God is a really good God, a loving God, who's not out to punish you. He's actually out to restore a relationship with you. That's information. Why is your relationship with him, why is it unrestored? Why does it need to be restored? Well, there's some more information there because you've, you've rebelled, you've sinned against God. But you know, it's like, that's a hard word, sin. But sin is anything you do that just works against what God is working for. That's what sin is, which means we've all done it. And information, sin separates you. You've experienced that in your life here. Like if you kind of work against a spouse, it creates separation between you. If you have a kid that rebels against you, it creates separation. It always does. Sin always separates. And in this case, to fix the separation, something has to pay the price. So, so God looked at you, information, and said, hey, I don't want you to pay the price for your sin. I'm gonna let my son die in your place so that you don't have to. And I'm gonna bring him back to life in three days to show you that I've overcome death, including yours. I mean, that's just information. In fact, what brought you to faith, if you're a Christian, what brought you to faith was that recognition, wasn't it? That you were a sinner separated from God. And that by believing in Jesus, not behaving your way in, you could receive a free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. That was just information. You don't even know it. And you found out about it. It changed everything. And then you remember when you first became a Christian, what helped you continue to grow? It's probably just more information, wasn't it? Like learning about God, learning about forgiveness, learning about his love, learning about all these people in the Bible, the incredible stories that we come across. Like it was just information. And and you remember this? Your mind was just exploding with all this new information. It was so interesting, so helpful. And you grew and you grew and you grew. But If your story is like most, at some point that information kind of stopped helping as much. And it was a little frustrating, if we're honest, right? Because kind of what got you, you know, here wasn't getting you there. And you really desperately wanted to keep moving. So you started attending church more. It was kind of helpful, but it wasn't as helpful as it was in the beginning. I mean, the messages, the sermons were good. It was information. You started reading books. It's good. It's information. But at some point, that information just wasn't really doing what it used to do. And it really gets kind of frustrating. It's almost like we stalled somewhere around plus three. And we didn't know how to keep going. It's difficult. It's kind of frustrating. It's a real tension. So let me ask you, what, what do you really think? What do you think creates positive movement from that kind of plus three range on? What do you think does that? I, I want to answer that today. That's, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're not there yet, that's okay. It's information. You need to learn a lot. There's so much good information. And it's all great news for you. That's why we call it the gospel, the good news. But at some point, the information ceases to just continue to grow you. There's something else missing. And to, and to kind of figure that out, we're going to look at an incredible story. It's actually a very familiar story. Most of you, all of you might have even heard it before. Uh, Matthew wrote about it. Matthew was one of those 12 guys, we call them the disciples. They were the followers of Jesus. Everywhere he went, these kind of mentees, he's the mentor, the rabbi, they followed him everywhere, which is so fun because when you read something from Matthew, you're not just reading a story he heard about. You're reading a story that he personally experienced. 
and wrote down, like he saw it, experienced it, and wrote it down for us. And that's one of those stories. It, it, this, this story happens after Jesus has had a really unbelievable day. It starts in the morning with one of his really close friends being executed for his faith. It's a very bad start to the day. But everywhere Jesus goes, huge crowds follow. And that's what's happened here. He's been teaching this huge crowd and it was getting you know, late in the day past dinner and the disciples have said, hey, we should dismiss everybody. They're all hungry. And Jesus, maybe you've heard this story. He says, well, why don't you feed them? And they're like, man, all we have is a sack lunch. Like we, we don't have enough food. And Jesus prays over some fish and some chips, some bread, and they distribute it. Probably 15 or 20,000 people ate from a little kid's sack lunch. It's just incredible miracle. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. It's probably more like 15 or 20,000 though. Well, at the end of all of this, Jesus is tired. I mean, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. I mean, he's asleep, he takes naps, he's exhausted. So he decides that he's gonna dismiss the crowd and send the disciples on their way and he's gonna have a little bit of alone time. And that's where we kind of pick up the story that Matthew got to experience. Here's how Matthew wrote about it. He says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. So they're on the edge of this lake, Sea of Galilee, sends them out into the lake, into the water, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, he goes up there kind of before evening, but he stays up there a long time. In fact, so long, it's gonna be about three in the morning when he gets finished on the side of the mountain with his alone time. He's spending time with God, he's resting, he's kind of recouping. Meanwhile, these 12 disciples, they're on the boat and they've gone on ahead because they're all gonna move the next day to the other side of this big, big, big lake, this huge lake. But a big storm has come up and the waves are crashing on them, the wind is blowing them, and it's almost sinking the ship. And so they're not resting out in the, in the boat. They are exhausted and they're terrified, waiting on Jesus to come and join them. Of course, they have no idea how he's gonna do that, especially now that a huge storm has come up. Shortly before dawn, which is, means about three in the morning, probably somewhere between three and six in the morning, is what we think. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, but not on a boat, not like a normal person. He goes out to them walking on the water, walking on the lake. Now, I know you've heard this story before possibly and you're like, oh yeah, Jesus walked in the water. Okay, just hold on. That's nuts. Like just think about this for a second. That is crazy. What would you do if you saw a person walking on the water? You would freak out because that's not normal. That's what the disciples do. This kind of thing shouldn't happen. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they screamed, and they cried out in fear. Now, I think sometimes we wanna like make fun of these guys, but geez, come on, man. That's what you would do too. I mean, if you saw a person walking on the water, you would flip out. That's what they did. And, and each disciple is at a different place in their relationship, right, with Jesus. They're each kind of at a different place on that spiritual number line, that continuum. And they don't really know what to do when this happens. I just love it that Jesus did it this way too. I mean, he could have taken a boat. He could have had somebody Uber him out there, right? But he didn't, like on purpose. Because Jesus was gonna make a really big point. He, he walks almost all the way to the boat on purpose. But Jesus immediately says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
This is not a part of this message, but just for a real quick minute. Did you know uh, in the Bible, in the scripture, that phrase, don't be afraid, is uttered by God a whole bunch of times. You know how many? 365 exactly. You think that's an accident? I don't know, maybe. Or maybe God's trying to remind us every single day that we don't have to fear when he's with us. That's a whole nother sermon for another day, but I think it's important to mention in the moment. So Peter, Peter's one of these 12 guys. He's in the boat. He doesn't want to be afraid, but he didn't know what to do. Peter, though, super outspoken, kind of type A, acts, talks before he thinks a lot. So Peter, Lord, if this is you, Peter replied, tell me to come out there to you on the water. If it's really you, tell me to come out there with you. If you're really not a ghost, if you're really Jesus, I want to walk on water with you. Because wherever you are, I want to be there too. <laughs> Jesus says, come, he said. Now, I think all the other disciples went, ooh, Peter. You didn't think he was going to call you out, did you? Yeah, well, he did. He called you out. It's such an incredible moment. Like, we skip by it because we've heard it so many times, but it's such an unbelievable moment in the life of Jesus and, more importantly, in the life of Peter. Because there's a real reality that's about to happen. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of a boat. Like walking on water is an unbelievable experience, but you can't do it in the boat. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. And don't miss this, right? Jesus walks all the way out and stops 20 feet short of the boat for a reason. You know the reason? Jesus walked out to the boat to invite them out of the boat. Jesus walks all the way out to the edge of the boat and he stops because he wants to invite them out of the boat. He wants to invite them out of what's comfortable into what requires trust. Out of what they understand into a place where they're going to have some doubts. He wants to invite them to do something, not just hear something. He, he, he wants to invite them to do something. It's a really important element to the story. So Peter... Peter got down and he got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. Here's what Peter thought, I think. I don't know what's going on out there, but if Jesus is out there, that's where I want to be. Because wherever he is, is where I want to go. Wherever Jesus is, is where I want to be. And if it requires doing something uncomfortable, I'm willing to do it. Because it's better to be uncomfortable with Jesus than comfortable without him. And there's a real important principle to that story. Growing closer to Jesus eventually requires taking steps in his direction. It always does. If we kind of go back to our spiritual life number line for a minute. No matter where you are on the line, right? Information is what starts your growth. Your steps of growth always begin with learning things that you just didn't understand, that you didn't know. Learning about Jesus, learning about faith, learning about belief, not behavior, learning about sin, learning about forgiveness. It's all information. But at some point, that information stalls, and I'll tell you why. 
Because information should always give way eventually to application. Application is what makes the difference in the end. Information will get you so far, but it always stalls out because at some point, moving closer to Jesus isn't about learning more, it's about doing something with what we've learned. Let me ask you just a quick question. How is your relationship with Jesus? Do you feel like it's moving forward? Or do you feel like it's stalled a little bit? Do you feel like it was going forward for a while and it's just kind of slowed down a little bit? It, it could be, it could be because there's some application that needs to happen. It could be because Jesus is inviting you to step out of some version of a boat and walk towards him. And let's just admit, applying it is harder than learning about it. I mean, there were 11 other guys in the boat who didn't get out. And I think I know what they were thinking. Hey, Jesus, I want to walk on water too. Can you tell me more about it? How's it going to feel? Right foot or left foot first? What's going to happen if I sink? I mean, all these questions, information, information, information. And Jesus doesn't seem to do that. Jesus just says, come on. And I know there's doubts and I know it's going to be scary and I know you've never done it before, but if you want to grow closer in this relationship, you might have to get out of the boat. I, I don't know what that means for you. I mean, for some of you, it just means you need to learn some more things, just more information. But for most of us, if we're honest, we don't need more information. What we need is some application. I started thinking about like, what are all the ways that we could apply some things? Like, what are the, what are the things that might be our steps of application? I, I don't know if any of these are for you, but can I just show you a list of things that might be for you? Maybe one of these is for you. Uh, maybe accepting Jesus as your savior, that might be your next step. Like, what's keeping you from doing that? If there's more information, you should learn it. You should read, you should ask Find a person to mentor you, just to kind of come alongside of your curiosity. You should do that. But at some point, it's not just going to be information, right? Like for some of you, it's just coming back next week. Like if you're honest, you're like, I can't even believe I'm here this week. Like one week, that's pretty solid. I mean, I usually come at Christmas. Uh, this isn't even Christmas and I'm here. It's not even Easter. Look at me, you know, that's awesome. But maybe the next thing for you is to do it again. Maybe you should just come back next week. Or, or, or maybe you should read the Bible, which seems really daunting, doesn't it? Like, how big is that book, you know? Could, could they have made it smaller? Like, it seems like it'd be so much easier. But here's what you should know, right? There's, the, the, the Bible is 66 unique books, documents. It's full of songs and poems and narratives and stories and all sorts of different kinds of literature. If you've never read the Bible before, let me give you the way to start. Start with the book of John. Start with the book of John. The book of John is an unbelievable firsthand account of the life of Jesus. It's the best place to start. Or maybe your application is praying. That might be really weird for some of you. Like praying to a God that you can't see and can't touch and you can't even hear from it, it just seems weird, you know? But, but, but what if prayer is less about the way we think about talking to someone? What if it's more about being open to what God's up to? 
Like, like what if your prayers were just, God, let me tell you what's going on with my, in my heart, what's going on in my life. Not so that you can make him aware he's God. He is aware. He's aware of everything. I mean, he knows about spring break. He knows about everything. You're not telling him so that he'll be aware. What if you're telling him to make yourself aware that he knows and that he cares, that he loves you, that he's for you? Maybe praying is your step. Maybe it's joining a small group. I'm gonna come back to that one in just a minute. Maybe it's giving of your time. Maybe you've never really done that. And it isn't because you're like super selfish or whatever, but you've just never thought like, if I serve others, it's gonna help me spiritually. But putting others first is one of the most dramatic things you can do to get out of a boat and move in the direction of Jesus. Because that's the story of Jesus. Doing something for others. It's what he did. And when we replicate that, it changes our life spiritually. Or, or maybe this is a scary one, giving you know, money is the most emotional thing in our lives. Giving is so scary. And, and, and if you're like everybody else in the world, you probably are, you think the fastest track to financial freedom is a whole bunch more money. But that isn't the answer. More money, more problems. More money doesn't solve the problems. It just creates more. Because how much money, let's be honest, how much money is enough? You know the answer? A little bit more. That's the answer. Do you know what unlocks your heart when it comes to your money? It's generosity. That's what unlocks your heart. That's a big get out of the boat, walk on water thing to do. But maybe you should try it. And if you don't feel comfortable giving it to a church because you're like, oh, I don't believe in church, whatever. Okay, pick something else. Pick anything that God's doing and give to it. And just see consistently what happens in your heart. It'll change you. It's gonna be a little scary though, because you're gonna be out of a boat. Maybe you should just meet with a counselor. I mean, if your past is affecting your present, it's not really your past. And if your past is affecting your present, it's affecting everybody around you, not just you. Maybe the best thing you can do is get out of a boat and step towards God by dealing with the things in your past. Or, or, or maybe you should just get baptized. I mean, baptism is a public declaration of an inward heart change. That's all that is. Like there's nothing magical about the water. It's not flown in from the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it's just water, hopefully warm. That's it, you know? But maybe that step of faith, that public step is something that you need to do. Maybe it's an application of moving closer to your heavenly father. I mentioned small group earlier. Small group's a huge one. Right now at RCC, you're joining and forming brand new small groups. If you are not in a small group, that is an application step you absolutely should make. Everybody should take that step. And I'll tell you why. Every one of us needs a group of people who are for us and for our relationship with Jesus. That's what small group is about. It's not about making you friends. You have plenty of friends. It's about being in a circle of people who love you, who can care for you, and can hold us accountable for what we're trying to do. It's a group of people who are all moving in the same direction. And if you've ever been with a group of people moving in a direction, they always go further faster together than anyone could go on their own by themselves. That's what community group is about. So a small group is about. Now, here's the thing. When you think about small group, your immediate reaction is probably, tell me more information. Good news, bad news. You get tons of new information, right? We gave you information when you came in. It's easy to sign up. There's all sorts of options. But you don't need more information about this. 
Like you don't need to think, well, what about my calendar? What about sports? What about, okay, forget all that. You're, you're adults, you can figure out the details. Don't overthink it, that's information. Do it, that's application. Just do it, just do it. And you'll figure out the details along the way. Just do it. I, I don't know specifically what your best next step is. It may be other things, I don't know. I bet you do know though, right? When you think about your spiritual life, you can probably envision the boat that you're in. You can probably picture what it is. And if you think about stepping out of that boat, it's probably a little scary, which probably means you should do it. And it's gonna be uncomfortable, and we don't like being uncomfortable. I mean, there's a reason that the lazy boy is the most popular chair in living rooms. It's super comfortable. It's not beautiful, but it's real comfortable. Getting out of a boat's uncomfortable. Just ask Peter. When Peter steps out of the boat, he starts walking on water towards Jesus. It was an amazing experience. <laughs> I imagine his faith exploded in that moment. At the same time, as he's walking toward Jesus, you remember how the story goes, the winds and the waves are crashing around him. There's all sorts of things distracting him. And he allowed the distractions to take his focus off of the thing he was moving towards. And in doing so, he actually started to sink a little bit. And he kind of cries out to Jesus. He refocuses. He says, Jesus, please help me. And Jesus reaches down and grabs his hand. He pulls him up. And he looks at Peter as they're standing on water together. And he says, why did you doubt? Have faith. Walking on water is scary, but not when I'm with you. Stepping out of the boat is scary, but not when I'm here. So what boat are you sitting in? What application do you need to make? Do you need to forgive somebody? Need to ask for forgiveness? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to tell somebody about your faith? I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, it's probably gonna be a little uncomfortable. It's probably gonna be a little scary. It's also gonna grow your faith, which is probably the most important reason to do it. It's just a life principle. We always grow in the direction that we go. We always grow where we go. Maybe we should just consider where we're actually going. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have been pursuing a relationship with us our entire lives. And thank you that we have an opportunity to kind of step in your direction. I mean, you have taken tens of thousands of steps in ours and you're just asking us to take one towards you. So God, I pray that you give us the wisdom to know what that step is. And even more, I pray you give us the courage to actually do it. And we know you're not gonna remove all the doubt and you're not gonna remove all the fear and all the uncertainty and it's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable. And I think you actually want it that way because if it was comfortable and easy, we wouldn't have to depend on you at all. But a step towards you that requires dependence on you is exactly what grows our faith. So God, I pray that we will do that. Jesus, we love you. Man, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for having me today. Thanks for being at RCC today. Uh, it's always great to see you guys and I hope you come back next week too. Thanks, see you.